So, part one done on the Batman v Superman commentary. Coming back now for part two, starting at 56 minutes and 44 seconds. Uh, on this occasion, I am joined by Vicky. Whether she will say much is a uh, whole other affair, but she may chip in with the odd thing, so best introduce her as being here. Um, just before I start this little part, just another little something that I noticed, because uh, I watched it the last 10 minutes, uh, just with a sound up, just to sort of prepare myself for the next part. And the part where Superman goes off and goes to another country to save people out of a bur- burning building, and it's during the Day of the Dead ceremony, and they all reach out to him like he's a god. And it's an interesting sort of part that, because ultimately Superman is an alien, an immigrant. You know, he's not from Earth. He, Earth is now his adopted homeland. He's not American, despite the fact that, certainly in the comics, when it suits America to have a superpower on their side, they will claim him as one of their own. But it's interesting that it's it's immigrants that actually accept him in this universe long before Americans do or anyone else. So just a little thing I thought, sort of thought I would point out before moving on. So as I say, 56 minutes, 44 seconds, I can see the pause frame is in a lab. It's Lois continuing her investigation into the bullet. I believe we're about to see Jenna Malone's uh, role in the movie, which was completely cut out of the theatrical cut. I do remember a lot of people actually um, speculating that her role was actually going to be as Barbara Gordon and possibly leading to Batgirl, but that's not the case in this. She's just a, uh, She's just an investigator uh, in the crime lab who helps out Lois, so... As I say, if you've got your um, movie set to coincide with what I'm chatting about, we're at 56 minutes, 44 seconds, and we press play now. So, as I say, Jenna Malone is uh, helping out Lois Lane at this point, um, talking about how the bullet is an odd little duck. It's something that is not uh, seen too often, but she seems pretty determined to jump in and see what this is about. Uh, Lois is continuing her investigation and asking more questions than maybe people want to know. And Jenna Malone's character is saying, like, you don't want to know the people who know what this bullet is, but of course Lois is a tenacious reporter and she continues to uh, chase after it. We then move back to the Daily Planet. You can see Clark is continuing to investigate into the whole Batman scenario how he is branding criminals, how those criminals are then being, you know, punished in jail. I chatted about this before, that I don't mind this uh, sort of development because ultimately Batman doesn't kill, but at the same time in this universe, uh, he's been doing it for 25 years, a Robin has been killed, he's jaded, he's, um, he hasn't really seen improvement in Gotham, we've seen Gotham still has slums, we've seen Gotham still has pain and misery and poverty so I can almost see that uh, he would let Gotham's dregs you know sort it out amongst themselves almost uh, but now we see the guy who used to work for Wayne Enterprises being bailed out of jail and at first you probably do think it's Bruce Wayne bailing him out but it's not in this case he gets back to his apartment and there's Lex Luthor sitting in a very sort of futuristic uh, motorized wheelchair which puts uh, this guy's one to shame straight away and Lex being Lex of course within five seconds he's standing up almost taunting the guy with 
yeah, I got legs, you don't. But I can give you this motorized wheelchair if you sort me out. So again, this is something that they've expanded upon in the extended edition that Lex is manipulating things behind the scenes. Straight away, this disgruntled Wayne Enterprises employee goes to see the senator, uh, again, Holly Hunter, and saying how he wants to face Superman in an open court. Why this guy thinks he deserves annoyance with Superman is a bit of a strange thing to me. I mean, a lot of people died in the whole Metropolis incident, but even still. Uh, again, we go back to another new scene through the extended edition as the uh, as Lex's henchman is chatting to a prisoner saying, you'll take care of it. And straight away, the guy who Batman branded uh, is going out into the courtyard. And of course, you're starting to worry he's not going to survive for very long. He gets shaved pretty damn quickly. Again, this is Lex continuing to manipulate events, but also to turn public opinion against the Batman. You know, showing that people are dying by his hand, essentially, when some people are supporting Batman's actions as a vigilante. So, again, it's an interesting development that wasn't in the theatrical cut. So, uh, this part was, however, in a theatrical cut, which is good. This is uh, Lois um, confronting the general from Man of Steel, asking about the uh, origin of this bullet. And I do like, there's a great line in here that uh, they're in the men's bathrooms, but uh, he turns around and says, Lois has the biggest set of balls, you know, saying that she belongs in here, which I think is a great line. Uh, but at the same time, he's still curious what her sources are, asking for more information. Lois is able to pull out the bullet, saying how this was used in the Superman incident. And even though he's slightly affronted by this, he still wants to help. I mean, the generals, he's a good guy. They went through a hell of a lot, Man of Steel. And even if he doesn't necessarily agree with Lois's methods, he still, he still sort of leaves it in a way where... He's going to look into it, and he will pull up later in the movie. So back to the uh, Daily Planet now. Perry really has been waiting on this uh, football report for quite a while. Uh, this wouldn't happen in a normal newspaper, let's be honest. I think Perry's been asking for this football report for about three days. But the whole point about newspaper is that if there's a match on a Sunday, it's reported on the Monday. But Clark's continuing to insist on... Uh, investigating this whole Batman case, investigating Gotham. Um, Perry keeps taunting him, saying, like, apples don't cost a nickel, and, you know, saying how Superman is from a different era. He even mentions 1939, you know, chatting about, like, Superman's origin in those years, and uh, that's a nice little reference to the comics, I do have to say. Uh, so, yeah, we move on from there. To uh, John Stewart chatting about Superman. Again, another scene that wasn't in the theatrical cut. Talking about the red, white and blue. Talking about the Superman. And all the rest. And what we're actually moving to here is another la-di-da rich people's um, situation in a museum. And again, there's a nice segue into this with... Uh, I like the, the, the word wonder was used there. As someone goes up to chat to uh, Diana. Nice little uh, subtle thing. But again, they're talking about the whole point of what this function is for. And the theatrical cut ignores all of this. All of this stuff right here is not in that theatrical cut. It actually starts with Bruce approaching Diana in a random place. 
And you miss out on great moments like that. Diana takes a glass of champagne. She walks along with this guy as he tries to say how this is like a real sword. Diana, of course, knows different. This is a fake. But she took a glass of champagne and while chatting to him, she actually sets it aside. Uh, which shows she doesn't drink. It's a very Bruce Wayne thing to do, actually, where he drinks ginger ale rather than champagne. But now we have the first proper meeting between Bruce Wayne and Diana Prince. And you can see Bruce is quite enamoured with Diana. He's really interested in her. He doesn't know she's Wonder Woman. He doesn't know she's got a longer lifespan than the rest of them. She doesn't know. He doesn't know that she's pretty much immortal at this point, but... He still has tracked her down, again showing his detective skills, tracked her down to a point where he can question her. And this whole scene, this flirtation between the two of them is fantastic. You know, it's, uh, I love the whole line about nine out of ten women would be, you know, falling for your lines right now, I am I number nine. He's like, well, I'm thinking you're the first sort of thing. I think that's some great interplay between the two. So, at this point, Diana's happy enough to pass the information back on to Bruce, you know, kind of impressing him a little bit with saying, like, how it's in the uh, glove compartment of his car. Again, that little smirk from Affleck, it's it's pure animated series. It's pure Kevin Conroy. It's pure... I mean, you can see he's done his research into the role at this point, which I love, and that's why he needs to do more movies. At this point, Affleck's done three Batman movies, uh, which actually makes him the second longest, or the joint longest serving uh, person as Batman. He obviously did this. He did uh, a quick cameo in Suicide Squad a couple of times, stopping Harley and the Joker, but also stopping Deadshot. And then, of course, Justice League. So we move on to another point here. He's got his drive back from uh, from Diana. And then it cuts to this nightmare sequence. Now, unless Zack Schneider continues with these movies, this scene is massively, massively out of place. Again, this shows Snyder was trying to set stuff up. You know, Batman steps up in this post-apocalyptic landscape. You can see Darkseid's Omega symbol there in the middle of the desert. But none of this has been dealt with at this point. I mean, I get the feeling that... And we, we've seen actually some script pages from Justice League that... Batman, or sorry, that uh, Steppenwolf was going to go back to Apocalypse and it was going to go to Darkseid and Darkseid say, I'll take care of this myself. So you can see he's setting stuff up here that he never got to follow through on, certainly on, uh, on Justice League. So given what, ha- what the ultimate result was on Justice League, this whole nightmare sequence, it's a ridiculously great sequence, but it kind of goes nowhere in the pantheon of these movies. I mean, this look for Batman is amazing, you know, long trench coat, still wearing the full uniform, got a gun in his hand, you know, cities have been burned to the ground, he's clearly looking at this point for, an, again, a deterrent to stop Superman, and he steps into this van, and there's a green glue, and of course you think it's kryptonite that he's found, but it turns out that these people are setting them up. But again, I can't specify how much I love this look for Batman. It's something you don't see in the comics often. You know, goggles on the head, long trench coat. But still that all these people respect him enough that he's basically their general. And again, LexCore on the uh, on the box itself is has Lex any part in this? Uh, or is this, 
because you'd have to think at this point Lex Core and Superman are working together to sort of screw Batman over at this point because they pull guns on him and say like I'm sorry and they these soldiers all have Superman patches on their armory uh, you can see it just in their shoulder pads again this is all part of Bruce's nightmare and his vision but again, unless this goes somewhere, it's kind of a wasted... It's just, it's a great scene, but it's kind of a wasted scene. Unless you get a couple more movies into it. But at the same time, this one long cut, which starts about here, once he gets rid of him, and bang, and jumps outside. This is all one long shot. This is so fucking awesome. Just one after another, taking them on. You can see the odds are starting to overwhelm Batman, but he still keeps fighting. And then you start to see the parademons come down, which again make their appearance in Justice League. But this this is all one big shot. This is fucking epic beyond any sort of scale you'd seen in the DC movies to this point. I mean, Nolan's trilogy were very grounded, very much set in reality. This was the first time you started to see the, the comic book universe adhered to. I mean, this this is still one shot. He's probably taken down about 30 people at this point. Parademons are coming up. You know, he's he's beating people up, but eventually he's overwhelmed. You see a parademon walk up, and you don't see them again until Justice League. And again, this leads to a great scene here where there's a couple of people strapped up. Batman's wondering what's going on. And then Superman flies down. And again, this is all very similar to the comics where you see an alternate history where Superman's in charge. You see all these soldiers kneeling before him. They all have the Superman um, logo on their arms. Superman walks in, no mercy, actually kills everyone around Batman here. You know, laser vision, boom, one, two, goes the other side, one, two, leaves Bruce alive, pulls the mask off. And again, this is something we've never really got closure on. He says, you know, she was everything to me. She was my world. Now, given what happens at the end of this movie when, you know, Superman flies towards Doomsday and says, you are my world. He's clearly talking about Lois. But again, there's there's never been a payoff for this scene in these movies. Oh, that look of hatred from Bruce. Love that. Um, and again, Supes grabs his heart. Goes in, yells in pain, wakes up. And then we have a little scene with the Flash. This is the first point we see Ezra Miller as the Flash. This scene again looks a little bit out of place in this movie. He keeps saying it's Lois, she's the key, she's the key. In a very loose way, I think this is the setup for Justice League. Where when they wake Superman up and he's beating everybody up, beating the whole Justice League up and nothing can stop him. Bruce says he has a plan and that's to bring Lois and Lois calms him down. But I don't know, that seems very loose to me. I think there was more involved in this point. I think there was more planned at this point. Uh, but I do like that little quick cameo of The Flash. Again, trying to universe build. And you can see Schneider had a long-term plan in place that maybe hasn't been uh, fully adhered to. That right there in the background was a nice big yawn from Vicky. She's... Uh, listening to my musings she's had a long day as well but at the same time i don't know if i bore her sometimes with stuff Devil. so uh we now cut back to daily planet and lex is starting to manipulate things so first of all you have bruce searching here for the white portuguese 
And also, again, it cuts between the two scenes. Lex is continuing to manipulate Clark. Again, this was a scene that was only in the extended edition showing that prisoner being killed. So therefore, this has context where it's being sent to a newspaper. Is this justice? You know, Bat brand of justice. It gets Clark going in terms of uh, his hatred for the Batman and his methods. Which again, is not set up in the theatrical cut. So now we go back to a phenomenal scene between Bruce and Alfred. Again, this is why Affleck needs to do more Batman. Jeremy Irons needs to do more Alfred. This whole scene is superb. Alfred is working on the uh, the Batmobile. They're talking about the white Portuguese. Alfred's worked out what Bruce is doing. He's trying to find kryptonite to have a weapon against Superman. This brings in the whole, you know... If there's even 1% chance that he could take over the world, we have to take it as a certainty because... And again, it throws in the line, just to digress slightly, of 20 years in Gotham. We've seen what promises are worth. I mean, that that's clearly a reference to Harvey Dent and Two-Face. Um, Alfred saying, like, you're going to go to war... Bruce, that son of a bitch, brought the word to us two years ago. You know, count the dead, thousands. Again, we're acknowledging all of the stuff that happened in Man of Steel. We're acknowledging the fact that thousands died. We're acknowledging the fact that there was collateral damage in that fight between Superman and Zod. You know, people go on and on about how Man of Steel, you know, they f- kill all these people, they destroy all these buildings. They're acknowledging in this movie they had a long-term plan. There it is, 20 years in Gotham, Alfred. We've seen what promises are worth. How many good guys are left? How many stayed that way? That's clearly a reference to Two-Face. Uh, Harvey Dent. Love that kind of universe building. So, again, you're continuing to see... Cl- this is total extended edition stuff here. You're, you're continuing to see Clark as an investigative reporter, which is what he is. And he is looking into the person who was killed in jail. The photos he was sent. Again, giving more justification. He's seeing little cartoons about Gotham PD. You know, hitting people with bats that have bat brands on it. You have Gotham police officers who maybe don't agree with the bat method. So they're nodding towards this this woman who's the widow of the guy who died in jail. This is all stuff that is only in the extended edition. This is stuff that gives context to the whole movie. And... Again, the wife here, she doesn't try to justify his actions. She doesn't try to say he was a good man. But she does say, look, he was a dad. He had a son. You know, that's, again, great universe building. You know, she even says, like, Bat's the judge. Again, continuing to give justification about why Superman would fight Batman in these movies. You know, she says, you know, words don't stop him. You know what will stop him? A fist. And this all leads to the the confrontation between Superman and Batman in the docks when Batman's in the Batmobile and uh, drives straight towards Superman. I mean, this is all stuff that's missing from the theatrical cut. Again, I can't talk about this enough. And my sheer love of this extended edition for the fact that it actually gives clarity to the whole movie. Um, but anyway, so we end up in the Gotham docks now. There's something going on. There's something being unloaded from the white Portuguese. We've established now that Bruce knows that Lex Luthor's bringing in a weapon that can be used against uh Superman. 
there's the guy from the coast and the Indian Ocean at the start. Um, again, that wasn't in the theatrical cut, but again, it just gives a nice little link to that scene early on. So what we see here, oh, look at this awesome, you know, shot, you know, Batman standing, oh my God, it's amazing. Batman just standing on a crane overlooking all of this, waiting for his moment to step in. And people are like, oh God, he's got a gun in his hand. Batman doesn't use guns. He's not using a gun here to shoot someone. He uses it to place a tracker on the uh the lorry itself. People are like, oh, he's looking through a sniper rifle, this, what's this about? But again, it's to put a tracker on a van, not to shoot someone. Goes down, tracker, boom. So he can follow it, even though he's going to jump down and go into Batmobile and cause all kinds of chaos at this point. So this leads to a cracking scene. I mean, I know... I've chatted to a few people that have had problems with this next five minutes because it shows Batman ready to kill and doesn't care about human life. But, oh, look at this. this is, I, I, I think it's all awesome. Come on, look at that. Straight into the car. Crack. You can see in the eyes, he's, he's not a Batman of five, ten years or a Batman who's just all about justice. He knows he has to go to more extreme methods. He knows he has to you know, maybe match what the criminals are doing. And therefore, that's why this scene makes sense. If this scene was in a Nolan movie, like Batman Begins or Dark Knight, it would make zero sense because that's not who that Batman character is. But this Batman is much more in line with uh, Dark Knight Returns. Uh, he's jaded, he's old, he knows he needs to go to more extreme methods. And that's why he's willing to do it here. And it just leads to great action stuff. You know, one car on top of another, keeps chasing, um, going after the main van where he knows the uh, kryptonite is. I mean, come on, they're, they're shooting miniguns at him. Why wouldn't he respond in a way at this point, you got to say? And bang. And straight through. Job done. Another one less bad guy to worry about. Yes, he does get this excited every time I watch it. Yes, I really do. This is this is not new information. I mean, I'm I am discovering new stuff as I watch it this way because it's the first time I've ever watched the movie, without listening to it, without chatting about it. But it's it oh it's just so good and it it really is a kick in the ass of the Nolan movies and that's the highest compliment I can give anything. Every time it cuts back there to Batman in the Batmobile, he's got this look of, you know, pure vengeance and hatred in his eyes. He's not there to protect these people. He knows these are bad people. Fuck them. Bottom line. He's got his goal of preserving the universe because he's trying to get kryptonite because he believes at this point Superman is the bad guy. He, it's a fucking alien from another planet. And I know they're swearing through this. Apologies. But it has to be done. But again, he's he's trying to protect protect the world at this point. He's not just trying to you know protect Gotham. This this is the world at stake, which is why he's willing to have collateral damage throughout it. And I have no problem with that. You know, shooting his way out of the boat there—that's pretty cool. It's not quite as good as the Nolan uh, change into the bat pod in the Dark Knight, but it's not far behind. But again, showing the coolness of the Batmobile, you know, someone fires a rocket at it, he puts up those little flares into the air. 
But here we go. So we're turning the corner. So we start to understand because of the extended edition. We start to understand why Superman's standing there. You know, in the theatrical cut, you don't understand why he's standing there. He just randomly decides to get involved. But because of the people sending photos to the Daily Planet and him following up on this report, he feels he has to step into Batman. But Superman is still inherently good at this point, which is why he says, you know, he rips off the top here. Um, Batman looks up at him. I mean, th- this is pure iconography right here. Batman stands up to them looking at each other. Phenomenal. I mean, we've waited years to see this. But at the same time, Superman is still benevolent. He's still at a point where he can negotiate about this kind of stuff. He's like, look, this is mercy. One more time, we have a problem. But next time they shine your light in the sky, don't answer it. But you think Batman's, you know, scared by that? Give me a break. He's just like, do bleed. Because you know what? Next time we fight, you will. Which again is the badassery of Batman, but the sort of understanding of Superman. And that's exactly what you want. So we go from all that to Batman going back to his uh, river retreat. Again, pulling up the car. Pulling it into the back cave. And he didn't quite get the kryptonite at this point, but he will very soon. But... At the same time, he's sort of seeing what the white Portuguese is. Oh, Batman jumping out of the Batmobile. That'll never get old. That's just ridiculously great. Um, of course, they got to pull the car off because they're paying Ben Affleck the big bucks to show his face. Maybe he would have preferred him to keep the car on there, but that's just a personal thing. But again, he's got the transponder on the van where the kryptonite's being taken to. Again, it shows up another one of my movie pet peeves that they decide to put the whole deep, 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 deep on the uh, tracker, even though all the guys standing there would hear it and they didn't hear it the rest of the time. But this is all about him finding where, where the kryptonite is. And again, this leads to another scene in the extended cut that's not in the original movie where Batman goes in and steals it all. So... At this point, Lex is starting to fulfill his plan. He's seeing the kryptonite. I mean, you look at his face there. He's got this look of awe on his face. This material from another world that will give him the upper hand. There's a slight smirk on his face. Uh, but at the same time, he's still playing around with things. He's still setting it up in a way that he knows Batman will come and steal it. So we then move on, the General's meeting up again with Lois Lane. Again, Lois continuing to show her investigative chops. Again, something we don't see enough of in the uh the theatrical cut. Uh, you know, she's she's calling the general's bluff of like if you think Superman's a murderer, throw this bullet away, but he knows better. You know, he he knows that Superman's not a bad guy. Again, we cut back now to the whole you know, senator thing again. She's playing the public. I mean, she's even standing in front of a Superman bloody statue. There's a guy who saved the world in the whole Battle of Metropolis, but yet some senator, again, it shows the inherent ridiculousness of American politics that she tries to use Superman as a crutch to gain public support. This guy saved the fucking world. And you're still attacking him. Unbelievable. Anyway, we cut back to Lex. He's looking at the uh, kryptonite like it's his newborn baby. Again, 
Clark goes off for advice to his mother because sometimes all a guy needs to hear is consoling words from his mum. I heard a lot of people give this scene abuse where it was like, you know, save the world or don't, it doesn't matter, you don't owe these people anything. But again, this is a more realistic thing. I mean, Martha has seen how the world has vilified Superman, called him a pariah, said he shouldn't involve, get involved in international politics, shouldn't save people because it's not the politically correct thing to do. Why wouldn't she say to him, look, it's up to you? And again, we jump back now to another extended scene. So this is the woman who's been attacking Clark and Superman the whole way through the media. You know, at this point in the movie, we think that uh, she's maybe just been doing this from her own point of view. But now you can start to see she's clearly been bought off by Lex Luthor. And now Lex is looking to tie up some loose ends. So he sends his mercenaries after her. So she's looking afraid. As you should, woman. You shouldn't have taken money in the first place. Um, and that's what leads her to then go to chat to the senator because she's afraid for her life. She's like, this is so important. We need to talk. Lex is the one who um, paid me. And again, this is all stuff that is not in the original theatrical cut. In the theatrical cut, this senator just turns against Lex for no reason whatsoever. But because of this extended edition, she's given motivation to. She's got witness testimony saying, look, this is what he paid me to do. Therefore, you can attack him. So we move away from that. We move back to Lois chatting to the uh, the general from uh, Man of Steel. He's talking about how it was uh, the bullet was developed by a private company. And of course, who's that private company? LexCorp. Again, Lois showing her investigative chops have led a solid lead. She's followed the evidence. She's not fabricated anything. She's not worked on a hunch. She's not working on gut instinct. She followed the evidence. She got the bullet from her diary. She thought it was a different metal. She got a plane. She went and chatted to them in Washington. She found a source. He came back to her. It came from LexCorp. Again, it makes sense. And it's all stuff that is not in the theatrical cut. So at this point, we have the, uh, the Senate hearing. Uh, which is where Bruce Wayne's previous employee, who he pulled out from the wreckage, is now in his wheelchair. His fancy one. His fancy wheelchair, of course. And Bruce is watching on like, what the absolute fuck? Why is this guy going to... I mean, they even put it in the news. They sensationalise it. Former Wayne employee to testify. And Bruce is kind of looking like, what the hell? I took care of this guy. Well, he first of all says, can you get Greg up here? And then this leads to, why is this guy not getting my checks? Bruce felt sorry for this guy, so he kept giving him checks, kept paying him his salary, even though he couldn't work. Lois is talking about how it's an ambush for Superman, Watergate, you know, when they stop things. You see the woman from Africa going down. You see the um, Lex's goons following her. Oh, it frustrates me so much how much better this movie is. And then the theatrical cut. I can't say this enough. And I don't care how ridiculously ranting I sound right now. All these little touches make so much difference. Now you see the senator walking into this hearing. Lex confronts her. You now know why she has confidence to stand up to him. Because the witness from, you know, Africa has chatted to her. She knows Lex is dirty. She knows he's playing a game. 
This is why she's so confident against them. Whereas again in the theatrical cut, you've no idea why she, she's just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna you know expose the truth, blah blah blah. Right. So back to Bruce Wayne. Bruce has been sending these checks. They've not been being cashed. You know, I am your ghost. I am this. You know, Bruce, no truce. I haunt you. This is because the guy has never, you know, accepted Bruce's help because he's hated Superman that much. And Bruce instantly says, why have I not seen this? Why has no one brought this to my attention? Now we move on to Senate committee hearings. And this again typifies Superman right now. Because Superman's not let in handcuffs like he is in Man of Steel, which he does to make humans feel better. He comes willingly. He's above the Capitol building. He's flying there. He's hovering above it. And uh, he comes in voluntarily. But again, you see the smile on the senator's face. You can see why she's confident. She has an ace up her sleeve about Lex. But what she doesn't know is that Lex's goons are now going in the underground to kill that source. Which again is not in the theatrical cut. I probably sound like a broken record at this point. But that's why she's confident. She's like, I've got a star witness. But what she doesn't know is that witness in about five... Four, three, two, one. Hello, push. Dead. She got nothing anymore. And this is before she sees the granny's peach tea. So Superman flies down, Capitol building. Support seems to be mixed. Some people say Earth belongs to humans. Superman's a legal alien. Other people say Superman saves. This is what's great about this, that... It creates debate. It doesn't say Superman's a good guy. It doesn't say Superman's a bad guy. It creates debate in that people have different viewpoints. And Superman walks through the Capitol building all of his own accord. He's there because he wants to be. A nice little cameo there for a state, an actual state senator. Uh, he's been in every Batman movie since Batman 89, I believe. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure he has a line at this at some point. So, Superman attends this hearing. You know, at the end of the day, he's under no compunction to do this, but Superman's always interested in doing the right thing, so he turns up. No handcuffs, nothing to be led there. He's there to answer. Respectful, hands crossed. Yeah, it's the guy to the left as we look. Of Holly Hunter. He's been in every Batman movie since 89. Guy with the glasses. White hair. This is where I don't like her character. Because she's all like. Oh yeah we act by the government. Blah blah blah. She's clearly just a publicity hound. But even the fact that. The guy who used to be. An employee of Bruce Wayne. He's sitting there in his fancy wheelchair. Which Lex donated to him. Um, Superman doesn't notice. That there's a bomb in the wheelchair. Now Superman has x-ray vision, Superman has super hearing, he would maybe hear this or see this. But even in just one line of dialogue, in the extended edition, not the theatrical cut, there's a part where Lois finds out that the wheelchair is lined with lead. And that's why he couldn't see it. Again, this is just tiny details that were not in the theatrical cut that make this movie so much better. And so we have the senator here turning around her little jar, Granny's peach tea. She realizes something's wrong. Lex clearly has a plan. 
Superman realizes at the very last second, just a second too late, and look of realization. Luther isn't there. Oh dear. Bang. So the whole Capitol building just goes up in flames. You know, if this was designated survivor, Jack Barr being there in a second to take over the presidency. But the way this is all set up, and you can see the long-form setting up of Luther, he set this up in a way to try and make it look like Superman was responsible for this in some way. Like, the news headline even says, Superman at the Capitol building. So, of course, the news vendors will spin this to say it was his fault. But you see here Superman looking regretful that this happened. In the theatrical cut, he just flies away. And of course you'd think he was guilty because you don't see him again. And of course Bruce would think, why did you do this? You let your family die, blah, blah, blah. You would think that Superman did do this. But this is my biggest pet peeve when it comes to this the uh, extended edition versus the theatrical edition. Sirens are wheeling. People are outside of the house. Or sorry, outside the Capitol building, beg your pardon. And you see a quick... 10 second scene here 10 seconds it's right here Superman lands and he's actually saving people he's pulling survivors out from the building he's even comforting them saying look you're going to be okay um, we'll get you the correct help so it clearly shows you know even one of the EMT says thank you you know they, they accept his help and yet Everyone still thinks he's guilty. But Superman wouldn't just, you know, let that building explode and then fly away. You can see the regret on his face. You can see all these dead bodies. It's impacting him. It's taking a toll on him. He, he wants to be human. He even looks at Lois at this point. They share a glance across the way and she knows he can't handle it. And of course, he flies away because... It's too much death and destruction for him to deal with. And at least at that point, he showed that he saved people. And yet, people still don't think he, he ever saves anyone. So again, a little tiny scene, you know, extended edition-wise. Alfred is carrying logs into, uh, into Wayne, well, Wayne Manor by the lake, shall we call it. He's looking around, looking for Bruce when he sees the news about where Superman was testifying and there's been an explosion. And of course, Alfred's looking at this like as if uh, Master Wayne wasn't angry enough. This is going to send him pretty much over the edge. So, and then they even say, but he seems to have disappeared. But at least at this point, he seems to have disappeared, even though he saved people. He carried them out of the building. Whereas again, going back to the theatrical cut, he just flew away after it. And that was that. You can see a look on Alfred's face thinking like, oh shit, what's going to happen next? So we cut the LexCore. And there's, um, there's a burning part of LexCore. The security, um, little security stand on the way in. Lex turns up. There's people being carried out, battered and broken. There's... Um, debris everywhere, there's doors that are wrecked and they're looking at the security footage saying, can you enhance that? Lex sees it and oh my god, that's amazing. Batman just swoops down 
and pulls someone away. Phenomenal. That is Batman. That's Batman straight from the Arkham games, all sorts. Uh, Lex looks around, he sees casings lying about the place, he sees spent bullets, he sees broken glass, he sees broken doors, and then he's walking up to where he had the kryptonite from before. And he can see that that uh, little... Um, that little case has been broken into and there's a batarang left behind but instead of being annoyed Lex smiles because Lex is like eh, this was kind of part of my plan so we cut now back to Lois uh, she's looking for Clark and then she turns around and he's on the balcony and he's talking about his remorse how about he didn't see it he was standing right there he didn't see it and he says he's afraid he didn't see it because he wasn't looking. But Lois is determined to disprove that theory. Again, something that's in the extended edition, but not the uh, theatrical cut. You know, Clark can't forgive himself at this point. He's saying, you know, I'm, I'm here to do good, but yet I didn't see the bomb in the wheelchair. You know, I let this happen. I let this Capitol building explode. I let all these people die. And... Uh, even though Lois tries to make him feel better about how his dad's dream for Superman to save the world was very real. He can't quite believe it. You know, he touches the S on the chest, talks about how this means something. I mean, we already established earlier in the movie this did mean something. People put the symbol up in their houses during floods and stuff and he was able to save people. But that's not quite enough for Clark at this point because he was right there in the capitol building when it exploded but there's almost a part of Lois right here determined to prove that there's a reason he couldn't sense that bomb there's a reason he couldn't see it and again something an investigation that's not in the uh theatrical cut but is in the extended edition so now we'll move on to lex so we established earlier lex had uh access to zod's body and uh, he cut the fingerprints off of Zod so he could gain access to the Kryptonian ship. And again, this, this shows what an interesting character Lex is because all this kind of stuff would probably scare the shit out of most people. But even though Lex is probably a billionaire, multi-billionaire, he has a thirst for knowledge and he wants to know more about this alien ship that crash-landed on Earth. He wants to know more about this super-powered being that is currently dividing opinion around earth you know what what other reason would he have to be here other than curiosity and a determination to try and expand his knowledge so he comes into the kryptonian ship he's able to um access it he's able to hear voices talking about the uh the history of krypton and how much would he like to know and he basically says he would like to know everything start at the beginning and again, it shows his intelligence. So it does. And shows him to be a very tenacious character, a very inquisitive character. Um, okay, so now we cut back to Batman and to Bruce. This is where Zack Schneider's love of, you know, manly men come in, or manly men come in, as Bruce whacks tires with a sledgehammer. Does pull-ups, yep, there we go, gratuitous muscle shot, Archie Andrews, you wish you were that big. You know, Bruce is doing chin-ups with weights. 
but at the same time it's showing him experimenting with the kryptonite trying to weaponize it oh there's more gratuitous muscle shots <clears throat> it's not as bad as Arnie movies it's not as bad as Arnie movies I will grant you that. that that's not far away though pulling the tar holy moly I feel so emasculated right now yep there's more weight shots but again it's showing Bruce experimenting with the kryptonite weaponizing it putting it into a gas um He's trying to build himself up through pure strength to take on um, Clark. But then we come to uh, a scene towards the end. It's, oh, there's a kryptonite spear, which Lois will mess around with later. But he's feeling a bit tired now, and he's starting to look through uh, the USB file a little more, and he goes to a metahuman part. Now, this was a part where they were starting to expand the universe and starting to try and show that there were other people out there. You know, not just like Clark. Ultimately, Bruce is just a man. He is the Batman, but he is just a man. Whereas he clicks on this file, MetaHuman. So he sees this one with a little symbol, Wonder Woman. Uh, he sees Gal Gadot looking all hot and all the rest. Showing a bit of surveillance footage of her. Um, you know, from 2015, which was a year before this movie came out. But then what he also sees is a photograph uh showing the exact same person back in waiting for it to pop up here 1916 i believe no nope, 1918 so towards the end of world war one and again this will form the basis of wonder woman the movie you can actually see all the actors are the same actors in the movie um that this photograph was taken again they are setting up a universe here they're doing it a little slower perhaps than the marvel universe but they're setting it up you can see Chris Pine there as Steve Trevor. You can see the other people who were part of that um, party in World War One. So this has been intercut with parts where Lex is dragging Zod's body into uh, the Kryptonian ship. What he's clearly trying to do at this point is create some sort of super being, you know, a person who's melded with Kryptonian DNA. To take on basically a being to be as powerful as Superman. Um, you know, but infused with a little bit of his blood. So I don't know whether he thinks he can control it or he has some sort of power over it. But this is clearly Alexa's plan. I like that he says you flew too close to the sun. Um He clearly wants a being to take Superman on. And that's what this whole part's about. So Zod is being created, even though it's action forbidden, Lex is able to override it because he's uh, got the authority in the ship now. Despite all the warnings, he doesn't care. He's like, look, this is what happens. This is how we're going to defeat Superman. It's Carla Gugino doing those voices, by the way. She has a long history of working with Zack Snyder. So... We flash back from that to uh we we actually have a little bit of Jenny Olson talking in the Daily Planet about Clark Kent, about Superman, you see Lois there, they're all wondering where Clark Kent is. They keep talking about unanswered questions, whether Superman's involved in the Capitol building attack. There's people burning effigies of him, thinking he was involved. Um there's all these people basically being entranced by the media. There's other like young kids going like, no, don't like the mums are saying, don't believe that Superman's a good guy. 
and then that all cuts to a part in basically up in the mountains and again this is another little scene that's only in the uh, extended edition it's not in the theatrical cut like the part where Clark was up the mountain is but these two guys here saying you know oh we didn't see him will not be responsible for his death one of the guys says he comes up here to die um that's all stuff that is not in the theatrical cut it's just in this extended edition uh now we go back to lois she's watching the news and again she's continuing to investigate the guy who was in the wheelchair and why his wheelchair blew up so this again is all extended cut stuff this is not theatrical cut stuff so lois won't let it go lois knows there's a reason clark couldn't see that she knows there's a reason that it's not just like he decided to ignore it or was too preoccupied. She knows there's a reason beyond that. So she continues to look into it. She goes to the crime scene itself. Um, she wanted to see where the guy lived. Wanted to see what he was planning. Wanted to see his hatred towards Superman. You know, there's graffiti in the background. There's photographs in the background. There's... All sorts of plans in place, you know, there's pliers, there's detonators, there's there's all kinds of stuff that she can basically see that this guy was planning this for quite a long time. Um, but even that, that's just a wee tiny scene where one of the police officers says, look, Lois, time to go. It sort of shows her tenacity and showing how she is a great reporter. She looks and sees fresh fruit in the apartment. She sees fresh food in the uh, in the refrigerator and sort of puts two and two together for, you know, he just bought groceries. He, he didn't know he was going to die, which means he didn't know about the bomb in the wheelchair. So again, Lois is continuing to put all the pieces together, all stuff that's not in the uh, theatrical cut. I mean, even Jenna Malone's character here says the inside of the wheelchair was lined with lead. And that's why, like Lois figures out quickly, that's why he couldn't see it. So we cut now to further up the mountain, uh, where Clark's went to a little bit of a retreat just to escape humanity for a while. He's still not quite sure what to do. And again, in the theatrical cut, this was quite a jarring cut into this because there was no context compared to the guy at the bottom of the mountain who said he's come here to die. But this led to my favourite cameo of the whole movie. As I stated earlier, I love Kevin Costner in this role. Brilliant actor. I love him as Pat Kent. I love that Clark sees him at the top of this mountain. And his dad gives him this whole story about how, you know, they're... Their place was their time was about to get flooded, but they quickly jumped to it. They managed to divert the flood away. They were a hero, but then what they heard later on was that there was a smaller village further on that got completely flooded because of the diversion. I love the moral of that story. Sometimes it is all about self-preservation, but you don't you don't quite understand the consequences. You know, and Costner del delivers it brilliantly. Talks about how grandma baked me a cake. I was, I was a hero. I was, you know, the talk of the town at this point. But then they heard that the whole on a whole other farm. 
as I say, I got washed away. While he was eating cake, they were being washed away. He can hear them in his dreams and all this kind of stuff. You know, he kept having nightmares about it. Clark asks if the nightmares ever stop. And, of course, his dad's like, yeah, when I met your mum, she knows there's good in the world. I mean, that's that's just beautiful. That's just an awesome, awesome scene. And even sets up the line that uh, Clark uses towards Lois later in the movie. She was my world. Because Clark says that to Lois before he decides to tackle Doomsday. Then it cuts to a little wide shot. And you see that you know, his dad's not actually there. It's very heartbreaking. But a good juxtaposition too. That scene is now Bruce in the middle of a desecrated Wayne Manor. Alfred walks in saying like, you know, you can't win this. And Bruce continues talking about how... This is the most important thing he'll ever do. You know, my whole family have been hunters. And that's what I'm going to go be. I'm, it's it's not about me. It's about the fate of humanity. It's about the fate of the world. You know, Alfred tries to make him feel better. Like you've been, you know, fighting crime for 20 years. And he's, and Bruce says, oh, it's, criminals are like weeds. You tear one up, another one comes up in its place. But he understands that this is something bigger than him. This is his legacy. This is... You know, the fate of the world. And that's what I love about this. That I mean, a lot of people are like, why would Batman fight Superman, etc., etc. He understands at this point that he wants to save the world from this alien. He wants to save the world full stop. And he thinks he's one of the best equipped people in the world to do it. So why wouldn't he face Superman? You know, that's that's ultimately the bottom line of this whole scenario. There has to be a reason for Batman fighting Superman. And if it's not the fate of the world, what better reason can you actually have than that? So we cut now to the diner where, you know, Martha Kent works. She's getting ready to go home. She's still looking at the TV, thinking they're all talking nonsense about her son. Turning the TVs off, taking the rubbish out. You know, again, it shows she's a hard working woman. That's what that's the family that Clark came from. But as she leaves out the rubbish, there's a cars pulling up. You know, sort of following her. She's worried. She tries to run away. She's no hope. And there is Luther's henchman. You grab her and throw her in the uh throw into the van so we're going to leave it there for part two we're about to launch into the part where all the best stuff happens batman v superman the whole reason for the movie uh batman planning for superman batman pulling out the bat signal all kinds of good stuff so you're gonna have to join me for part three for all of that so uh, I will sign off for now for part two. Hope you've enjoyed it. And hopefully you will join me back then for part three. Mm-hmm.